Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke and chapter 2, starting at verse 8. And there were shepherds in the same region who were living in the fields and keeping careful watch over their flock. And the angel of the Lord stood near them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they feared with a great fear. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people that there has been born for you today a saviour who is Christ the Lord in the city of David. And this is the sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swathing bands and lying in a feeding trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a crowd of the heavenly army praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among human beings who are pleasing to God. And it came to pass when the angels went from them into heaven, the shepherds started saying to each other, let's go up to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went in a hurry and they searched for Mary and Joseph and the baby, which lay in the feeding trough. And when they saw them, they revealed about the word that had been spoken to them about this little child. And all those who heard were astonished about the things spoken to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these words, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been spoken to them. This incident represents the third angelic encounter in the Christmas story. The first was the appearance of the angel Gabriel Gabriel to Zechariah in chapter 1. Remember, he was in the holy, of, holy place and the angel appeared to him. And he prophesied over John, uh, uh, Zechariah, that, he, that Elizabeth, his wife, would become pregnant and give birth to John, who would, of course, prepare the way for the Messiah. And, of course, because Zechariah doubted, he was struck dumb until the birth of the child. The second appearance of Gabriel was to Mary to inform her that she was to give birth to the Messiah. And as we heard last week, she submitted herself as the handmaiden of the Lord, to the will and purpose of God. And this is the third angelic encounter in the story. When angels come to earth, something important is going on. They are God's messengers. They stand in his presence, and they're here to tell us that something as life-changing has happened. <coughs> now, this third angel, we don't know who he is. We don't know if it's Gabriel again. We're just told he's the angel of the Lord. We know little more about him. But he sent to the hillside of Judea, to some shepherds. Within Israel in the first century, there were a lot of sheep around. They were there for food. They were there for the sacrificial system. And there was, of course, a long tradition of sheep farming among the Israelites, going way back to the patriarchs. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. David, of course, is the famed shepherd of Israel who looked after the sheep on behalf of the father and shepherded the nation on behalf of God. There are many sheep metaphors in the prophetic books. And, of course, we have the famous psalm, Psalm 23, identifying God as our good shepherd. Shepherds are throughout scripture. But by the first century, shepherding had become the task of the lowest of the low. It was hard work. If you wanted... A job, an easy job was to be a shepherd, not in the sense of it being an easy job, in the sense of it being a required job, 
because nobody else wanted to do it. They were the lowest of the low. These were the hard manual laborers of the, of the nation at that time. During the summer and spring months, the shepherds could keep close to their homes and feed the sheep in the low-lying lands. But as the year wore on, they would have to take them up into the hills and sleep with them up in the hills, find suitable pasture there. So they were away for like six months at a time with their sheep up on the hills finding pasture in the autumn and winter months. And of course, we know from other factors that despite the fact that we're celebrating Christmas at this time of the year, Jesus wasn't born in December. Sorry if that's a shock to anybody. He was actually born somewhere around September, October. So this would have been the time when they were going up into the pastures, going up high into the hills and spending time with their sheep throughout the winter, autumn and winter months. It was a dangerous and difficult time for shepherds. They were living outdoors. They were exposed on the hillside. They were vulnerable to cold and shortage of supplies. They were both predators and robbers who roamed the hills looking for an opportunity to seize the sheep. Shepherds had to be on their mettle all the time in order to safeguard their sheep, the sheep in their care. And in the morning, of course, they would count the sheep. And if necessary, they would go searching for the ones that were missing. And we know, of course, of the good shepherd who brings the sheep home on his shoulders rejoicing. That's a picture to us of Jesus who goes out and brings each one of us into the fold. And not only were they responsible for pasturing the sheep, they were also responsible for taking care of any illnesses or wounds that the sheep might incur. And so they provided every care for the sheep. There are so many ways we could interpret this concerning those whom God appoints to shepherd amongst us. And our home group leaders do a fantastic job, bless you all. It's about shepherding the people that God gives. But this is not the focus of this morning. These shepherds were unique individuals who lived outside of normal society, were exposed to some of the hardest and worst hardships you can imagine. They were not like Zechariah the priest. Priests were the ruling classes. They were the wealthy ones who got the revelation in the temple itself. They were not like Mary, the quiet country girl, who had received the revelation in the comfort of her home and surrendered herself to the will of God. These were more like cowboys on the margins of society. So why did God send his angel to announce the birth of his son to such as these? Why did he take the lowest of the low, the hardy um, outdoor guys who, who were living and smelling like sheep probably? Well, we don't know. Except to say that nobody is beyond God's revelation. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you are, God can still reveal himself and bring his revelation for your life. Everybody's entitled to hear the good news, no matter what their background, their status or their job prospects. God chose poor shepherds to demonstrate that God's good news is for everybody. Nobody is excluded. Everybody's entitled to hear the good news. And one of the reasons this event is so significant in Luke's narrative is that They are the poorest of the poor. Their testimony would not even have been, been, would have been one of the least important. And yet Luke includes their account in his gospel. And we know that throughout his gospel, Luke has a dialogue about the poor. But but the fact that he's using them to testify of what's happened says this this has got to have happened. This has got to be true. Because otherwise, why would he include these these unimportant uh, 
cowboys in the testimony concerning Jesus. So let's return to the narrative. There they were, on the hill, watching their sheep. In other words, they were wide awake. They weren't asleep at the time. Couldn't be mistaken for a dream. When suddenly a big, significant angel appears in front of them. Samuel turns to Zebedee and says, Don't look now, but there's a 12-foot angel standing behind us. Zebedee says, I know, I'm quaking in my sandals here. This was something completely outside of their experience. It was not every day that an angel turns up to you and the glory of the Lord shines around you. Anyone experience that today? <laughs> this morning? <laughs> but it's not an everyday experience. No. That's right. <laughs> and so this was an unusual event. Um, it lights them up such that it feels like daytime, though it's the middle of the night. And it's not surprising, the text says they were fearful with a great fear. Remember, these were men who were used to danger. Even getting into fight with robbers, they were not normally fearful men. And yet suddenly they're, they're face to face with something that's filling them with fear. And so the angel tries to quell their fear. He says, don't be afraid. Yeah, that's going to do it, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) This is that word of reassurance which tells them not to worry because he's not here to judge or destroy them. But he's the messenger of the Lord. So what's the message? Well, it contains a number of things within it. The first thing it says, good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. The birth of the Messiah was and is good news that gives great joy to all who enter into the truth of it. See, God never promises us happiness. That's the American dream. God promises us joy, and joy is different from happiness. It's a joy that supersedes all that life throws at us because it's a joy rooted in our relationship with God. It's not walking around with a big smile on our face all the time. That's just not real. Rather, it's an inner joy that knows we're accepted by God because of Jesus. That our eternal destiny is secure. And that our relationship with God has been established, not on the basis of our own good works, but because of all that Jesus has done for us. That's the source of our joy. It's that joy that flows out of peace with God. And knowing that all things are put right, that our past is gone, that our sin is dealt with, and that our life with God is secure. That's the joy that God promises. Great news, good news of great joy. Secondly, he says, this is for all people. Again, we can miss the significance of that. But these are Jewish shepherds on a hillside. And this, this instruction, this, this revelation was taking the promise outside of the tribes of Israel. Jesus did not come to earth just for the Jews. He did come for them, but he also came for the Gentiles. He came to deliver all humanity from the power of Satan, sin and death. And everyone who puts their trust in him can come into this deliverance. Everyone who responds to the gospel will be saved. This was, this was mind-shattering revelation to all people. 
suddenly it breaks open the promises of God for everybody. Next he says, born for you. Jesus coming was for us. He didn't need to come. When humanity sinned, God could legitimately legitimately have destroyed all of creation and started again. Instead, in the garden, he commenced his rescue plan with the promise to Eve that her seed would bruise Satan's head. And God worked out his rescue plan throughout the ages. And Jesus came willingly and in obedience to earth for us. I'm sure he would have preferred to have stayed in heaven with the Father. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It was love that compelled Jesus to come. And he came for you and he came for me. Next, the angel says, he will be a saviour. And Jesus' very name means the Lord, our saviour. This is why he came. And this is who he is. Israel was looking for a saviour to deliver them from Roman occupation. They'd been under the control of a series of oppressors from the time of the Babylonian captivity onwards. They wanted someone to come and deliver them from the temporal power so that they could once more be an independent nation with their own king, living under the law and experiencing the blessing of God. They thought they'd had such a deliverer when Judas Maccabeus led a rebellion against the Greek overlords in the 2nd century BC. However, the Maccabees soon became as corrupt and oppressive as, as those who had replaced them. And the last one who married into the Maccabees is, of course, Herod the Great. They had become as corrupt and oppressive as those that that the Maccabees had sought to deliver Israel from. But Jesus was the saviour. The one promised who would bring about not a temporal kingdom, not an earthly kingdom, simply, but a spiritual one in which the oppression of Satan, sin and death would be ended once and for all. He is the saviour. He is our saviour. The saviour not just of Israel, but of the whole world. He is Jesus, the Lord, our salvation. Next, the angel says he is Christ, the Lord. And the full meaning of this can be lost in our English translations or with our familiarity. In Greek, the words would be Christos and Kyrios. In Hebrew, the words would be Messiah and Yahweh. He is the Messiah. He is Yahweh. God is sending to them and to the whole world none other than his promised deliverer, the Messiah, the son of David, who would restore the kingdom. But he's also, he says, God in human flesh. Yahweh, Kyrios, Lord. And this is the ultimate wonder of the incarnation. God himself, in the second person of the Trinity, came to earth, clothed himself in frail human flesh. Further, he submitted himself to the limitations of that flesh, growing up as a baby. And at that point, he laid aside his majesty. He suppressed many of his divine attributes. He ceased at that moment to be omnipotent, omniscient, 
and omnipresent. He squeezed himself into the tiny form of a human baby and surrendered himself to all the vulnerabilities of a human child in the hands of lowly parents. How did the angel describe the sight they would encounter? You will find the baby wrapped in swathing bands and lying in a feeding trough. And it was this very sight, they were told, that would be the sign for them that it was a humble baby whom God had made himself in the form of. What a risk the creator of the universe took at this moment. What a risk to put himself in in that vulnerable state in the hands of a young couple. And yet knowing that the salvation of you and I was at stake, he chose to do this so that we could enter into the good of all that God has for us. Hallelujah. What a saviour. And at that moment, if the sight of one angel had not been enough, suddenly the angels were confronted with a choir of them. <laughs> One's enough. Suddenly you've got the whole heavens covered in these angels all singing at you. I bet it wasn't quiet. <laughs> all glorifying God. And once the angels had completed their choral work, something like the Messiah, I would think. King of kings, forever, forever. <laughs> what was that someone making a joke (laughs) yeah not a ding dong this was this was a hallelujah (laughs) so when the angels had finished their choral work And gone back to heaven, the shepherds, blinking, pinching themselves to make sure they were awake, decided to go and seek out what they'd been told. And the text says they went in a hurry. Their response to the revelation was immediate and urgent. When God reveals something of his plans and purposes to us, or challenges us in some way, is our response immediate or more passive? Do we put it on the back burner and forget about it, or do we take action? These shepherds took immediate action, and they're an example to us. We're also told that they searched diligently for Mary, Joseph, and the baby in Bethlehem. They didn't just go to the first stable, oh, this must be the baby. They were searching through Bethlehem. They were trying to seek out the Savior and to seek out the truth of the revelation that they had received. And then finally they found them, probably not in the place that they first looked. In fact, the last place they would have expected to see them, in a stable. Well, it's not a stable as we would picture it. More like a cave. Dirty, smelly, awful. But they found him. And Luke reveals to us three separate reactions to these events. He says, all of those who heard the testimony of the shepherds were astonished. They were amazed. It says of Mary... She kept all these words, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, praising and glorifying God. And these three reactions should shame our own shave, shape, sorry, frame, should frame our own journey this Christmas. When we understand that all God has done in coming as a baby should lead to our own astonishment, amazement, gobsmackedness. There, there's a new one. 
And in gaining this understanding, we too should ponder, as Mary did, think deeply about all that God has done for us. And ultimately, this should, the response that comes out of that should be praising and glorifying God. So this Christmas, allow the story of the incarnation to come afresh to you, to help you praise and glorify God a little more for all that he has done. Amen. Let's pray. And then we'll conclude with a song. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus, all that you've revealed to us, and all, Lord God, that that it means for us and for our lives and our future and our destiny. We give you praise and thanks this morning. And may, Lord, your joy fill our hearts increasingly as we consider these things. And may that knowledge that you are our Savior, our Messiah, our Lord, our King, overwhelm us this Christmas, we pray. Amen.